I'm melting. Mogab is very hot. <laughs> I'm melting. <laughs> Mogab has no AC. I'm such a weenie now. I'm such a weenie. I used to never get hot. Took the girl out of Texas. He took the Texas out of the girl because I should not be this hot. episode of true crime creepers where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists i'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories and i'm mogap the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them all right good evening to everybody except for the new york yankees <laughs> big cry babies and i said what i said and you leave it in here and i don't even care if we lose any followers yeah Yeah, we'll just we'll make sure to close the roof next time guys yeah (laughs) i wish it was that windy up in here because i i was just learning about how like the persian empire would make these like wind towers and they it was like air conditioning like ancient air conditioning and they would even throw it like shoot it underground and they could refrigerate stuff what yeah, I saw TikTok on it. It was very interesting. Wow. I know. We learned so much about the, the Roman Empire. The more you learn on the TikTok. I'm telling you. That's where I get all my news and my <laughs> uh, history lessons. <laughs> no uh, fact checking done. You know, that's. <laughs> and 50 years, it's like your grandkids are going to be like, I wish grandma would get quit getting her news off TikTok. Like how I feel about my family getting their news off Facebook, you know. <laughs> Uh, cl- 100%. Everybody quit clicking on things on Facebook. This is the PSA. If you're over the age of 40, quit clicking on it. Okay? <laughs> it's not meant for you. Platform's not meant for you. Hey, we have a Patreon and that platform is meant for you. <laughs> and if you go over there, you can get all sorts of bonus content from us if you so desire um we've got a couple different levels over there we've got a five dollar level that gets you a bonus episode a full-length bonus episode every month it's like an extra one of these regular guys every month and a shout out on the podcast and then at the seven dollar level you get all of that plus you get two extra little mini episodes a month sometimes maxi episodes a month like (laughs) Couldn't be tamed. Mogab did an episode where she researched the case and she told it to me. I'd never heard of it before. So I was the true crime newbie in that episode. It was so much fun. That's on the Patreon as like a mini creep, even though it's very much a maxi creep. (laughs) And you also get a card with our autographs and a sticker and Mogab's perfect wax seal. She's got the ratio down now, so. I do. Two little pellets. <laughs> Two little wax pellets. Oh, Sorry, okay, versus. okay. And then we have one more level up at the $10 level. That gets you a discount on merch, and it gets you this episode ad-free, if you're so inclined. But you guys should listen to ads, because, I mean, you should pay $10, but you should still listen to the ad. <laughs> Never mind. I'm the Actually, worst salesperson. my best friend does do that. She's like, I just want you to know, because I love you, I still listen to your ads. <laughs> Thank you. Be like Leslie. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. Uh, all right. So let's get into the case this week. This was let's another 
Leslie recommendation. She told me about this case and I said, I'm going to do it. So this was a pretty tough one to research. But a big thank you to an article in Visaga, Visaga on this case oh. by Carrie Hansen and an article in True Crime Daily, as well as an episode of On the Case with Paula Zahn. All right. Are you ready for this case that I'm not even going to tell you anything about? Oh, I tell yeah. You I, about I gathered that when I <laughs> asked earlier. <laughs> she was like, are you telling me a murder tonight? And I was like, I don't know. You'll just have to wait and see. Know. In 2006, Ashley Reeves was 17. She was a junior in high school in Milstadt, Illinois, which is a small township in, out in the country. It's about half an hour from St. Louis, Missouri. Ashley really seemed to be living a very ordinary high school life. She was a good kid. She never caused any trouble. And she worked really hard in school. She was described as sweet, stubborn, and strong-willed. Her mom said she always had a way of getting her way. So uh, a Gryffindor, <laughs> as we talked about earlier. I would say 100% Ashley Reeves is a Gryffindor. She was described as a really bright student and also really funny. She had a lot of friends. She was really involved in her high school. She was on the pep squad, the yearbook committee, and the community outreach program. She played basketball on a team at one point. I'm not sure if it was in middle school or in high school, but she was just uh, a typical teenage girl. She had a younger sister, Casey, who really looked up to her, and she had a steady boyfriend of two years named Jeremy Smith, who her parents just loved. Cute, cute. (laughs) April 27th, 2006 was a Thursday. It was two days before your birthday, and I'm pretty sure that that's the birthday where you and I went to the movies for the first and last time ever with that balloon from that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Not the first and last time ever. I went to the movies with you. One time, the movie theater by the Chewies and Webster. Oh, what did we see? I don't remember. Hmm. I don't know. And obviously, I don't know how you got me to go because <laughs> I feel like that's not normally my activity of choice. No, I agree. I don't know why we would go to that. Must have been when you lived here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Ashley had a job interview that day at a shoe store in Fairview Heights, which is a town about 20 minutes away. And she'd borrowed her boyfriend Jeremy's SUV to make the drive out there and She told her parents she was planning to go play basketball after the interview, but the interview was at 3.30, so she said she'd definitely be home by her curfew at 10 o'clock. But when Ashley still hadn't returned home at 10.30, her mom, Michelle, was really worried. She asked Casey, Ashley's little sister, if she'd talk to Ashley, and Casey said she hadn't heard from her all day. They both tried calling Ashley's phone several times. They left multiple text messages. But the minutes ticked by and Ashley wasn't responding to any of it. No, no. This was really unlike her. And Michelle just couldn't shake this horrible feeling in her gut that something was terribly wrong. Every possible terrible scenario was running through her head. So she called the police. Did she still have Jeremy's SUV? Ashley, she had, yeah, she had, that's what she had driven. Mm Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, calls like this come in far too often to police. Parents are panicked that their kids aren't home by curfew when really the kid just stayed out with their friends too long. But the sheriff's deputy that took this call said there was just something different about the way Michelle sounded. And so they started calling friends and relatives to try and track Ashley down. Meanwhile, Casey, Ashley's little sister, and Michelle, her mom, are doing everything they can to find Ashley. 
Casey even decides it would be a good idea to pull up Ashley's cell phone call records. And so she prints off this list of calls Ashley had made in the past month. And she and Michelle get into the car and they start driving around looking for Ashley while Casey starts calling all the numbers on this list. And she sees one number that is repeated over and over and over, probably like a hundred times in this month. And so Michelle tells her to call the number. So Casey calls the number. Uh, Michelle, you call the number, girl. Well, I think Michelle was driving because Michelle then did get on the phone. So I'm not super sure about the logistics of uh, exactly what's happening here. Nobody would just tell the story straight. I'm piecing this together from (laughs) girl. I know places. (laughs) When I did it last week, I was like, this is bananas for the birds. (laughs) So. This is my understanding of what is happening. They're in the car driving. They're also making the phone calls at the same time. I think that's what's going on. But at some point, Michelle was on the phone. So I don't know. But Michelle told her call it. Casey calls the number. And she was really confused when she realized who had answered. It was a man named Sam Shelton. He was a teacher at a high school in a neighboring Mm. town. Michelle Michelle and Casey knew Sam. Like Michelle even knew Sam's mother who was a first grade teacher in the area. Sam had been Ashley's teacher in middle school before he started teaching at the rival high school. And Ashley had been frequently like meeting up with him to play basketball after school. Michelle just thought he was a really nice guy, keeping the kids out of trouble by giving them something to do after school, you know. So at some point, Michelle took the phone over from Casey because she talked to him. And she said that he was very respectful and polite and told her that it was probably nothing to worry about. Ashley was probably just out with friends and she'd be back soon. He said, you know, it's only 20 to 11 now. And Michelle said, well, her curfew is 10 and she's never missed curfew. So she got off the phone and I'm not entirely sure how she felt about this conversation. But I do know that she wasn't hugely suspicious of him, but she was terrified of what had happened to Ashley. Okay. After driving around. Okay. Do you have something to say? No, not yet. No, I I don't yet. All right. After driving around aimlessly looking for Ashley with no sign of her, Michelle and Casey returned home. Michelle waited up for Ashley all night while every thought of where she could be and what could be happening to her ran through her mind. The temperature was dropping into the 40s that night, and Michelle just kept wondering if Ashley was cold, if she was hurt, if she was suffering. Mm. The next day, eight hours after Ashley had been reported missing, the car was found, the SUV that she had been driving, was found abandoned in Latterman Park in Belleville, which is about 15 minutes from her home in Milstad. Wait, what state are we in? Illinois, but like 30 minutes from St. Louis, so like close to the Missouri border. Now, originally, it was reported that the car was actually found at 11.30 p.m. the night before and that investigators continued to work throughout the night. But everywhere else said that it was eight hours later. So, again, unsure of the timeline exactly. But either way, when police searched the car, they found her gym bag in there that had like the basketball clothes she'd brought with her to change into. And at this point, they know something is definitely wrong. Ashley didn't just leave this car here and walk off herself. That afternoon, as the 24-hour mark came and went, Michelle just knew that Ashley was dead and that she would never see her again. And she said it just made her want to crawl into a hole 
and never come out. It was the worst feeling. Police's first, like, suspect was Jeremy, Ashley's boyfriend. It was his car she'd been driving, and of course, the boyfriend is usually the first suspect. Now, I'm going to need you to scope that teacher out, for sure. (laughs) What? Nothing suspicious about that at all. Well, that's what people think, because we've romanticized (laughs) it with old Ezra and Arya and Pretty Little Liars, but... I mean, that always was weird to me, but also I shipped them. I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I well, hated I'm it, sorry. but I did. What did you just say? <laughs> you shipped them? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's not suspicious at all that she would have hundreds of texts from a teacher on her phone as a 17-year-old girl. Nothing wrong with that <laughs> at all. Yeah. And so they're, they're first looking into Jeremy. Jeremy was every parent's dream of a boyfriend. He was wholesome. He was honest. I mean, I've never seen someone look more innocent in a police interview. He was just like this very all shucks persona. And it became quickly clear to detectives that he was not involved in Ashley's disappearance. Uh, Jeremy told them that he'd been out of town the night that Ashley went missing. And all he knew was that she'd told him around noon the day that she went missing that she was going to a job interview and then she was going to play basketball. So she was using his car, but he was gone. Yeah. Like, I think she was, like, borrowing his car while he was out of town. Because then in another interview with her mom, with Michelle, Michelle was like, yeah, she told me that she was going on the job interview. And so she knew that I would let her borrow the car. But then every news source said that it was Jeremy's car (laughs) that was found. So (laughs) a lot of conflicting information in every single news report that I read, every single thing that I read or watched. So I'm just going with what I think is most likely. And that's what I had to do. Police wondered why she was playing basketball at a park so far from her house when there was one in her neighborhood that she could have played at. With a teacher. Unless she had planned to meet someone there. (laughs) And that's when they turned their attention to the teacher, 26-year-old Samson Shelton, who went by Sam. Of course he did. (laughs) This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. 
This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Sam was a driver's ed and PE teacher and the assistant baseball coach at a rival high school. Oh, say less. <laughs> who happened to live near Latterman Park with his mother and grandmother. He was also an aspiring professional wrestler with the Mid-Missouri Wrestling Association, who called himself the teacher. Oh, say more. (laughs) Because what? He also had a MySpace page. (laughs) We'll talk more. It's 2006. Okay. (laughs) We'll We'll talk more about that. 2006 doesn't feel that long ago until you say something like that. Like, right, MySpace feels so – but I'm like, 2006? Okay, that was – Yeah, I'm that like, was oh, right wow. in the We're closer it, to yeah. being 20 years – it's closer to being 20 years away than yeah. like 10. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. Most articles described him as well-liked, but there were at least some of his female students who thought he was strange and full of himself. But it seems like he was the teacher at the high school that a lot of the girls had crushes on, and he just loved the attention. And I will tell you, I knew a couple teachers like this that were young and attractive, and all the students had crushes on them, and they just, like, encouraged all of that attention. And let me tell you, it would turn out later on, all of them were predators. That is a red flag, okay? It's one thing to be (laughs) young and attractive. We can't help being beautiful. But when you are encouraging that type of behavior with high school kids or younger, gross. Yeah. Cut it out. Knock it off. You shouldn't be around high school kids if you, if you bleh, want sexual attention from them. <laughs> or you need them to like validate your physical appearance or something. But Ashley was a kid. She didn't see this as a red flag. And she met Sam when he was her teacher in seventh grade. And then they'd reconnected a few months earlier in February of 2006 at a Mardi Gras parade in St. Louis. Mm. When they started playing basketball after school together, Ashley's mom thought he was just being a good influence on the kids. It never crossed her mind that something else might have been going on. But her mom also did know that Ashley had a crush on Sam, but she just thought it was like a cute, like, who hasn't had a crush on a teacher kind of thing. She knew Sam was a teacher. 
this is where I struggle though, because it's like it, I don't want to blame the mom. It's not it's not the mom's fault, but it's just like I don't know. You're like hearing you say it. Of course, I'm like removed from the situation. But I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> I know, you know, I know. I think one thing is this is a small like it's it was called a village in one article. You know, like this is a very small area. A village. I'm sure it's like close knit and. I think that she just had this view of like his, she knew his mom. She was a first grade teacher. Sam had been a teacher. He'd been her seventh grade teacher and now like taught at the high school. And so she just had this view of him as like a safe person and she trusted him. Yeah. I guess. But when police dug through Ashley's phone records, they saw that in just the past two months that Ashley and Sam had exchanged hundreds of text messages and calls. On top of that, investigators had spoken with anyone and everyone that they could, family, friends, neighbors, even just other kids at the school that didn't know Ashley that well. And Ashley's friends told investigators that she was romantically involved with an older man. They didn't know who it was, but at this point, police are fairly certain that they do. It seemed incredibly inappropriate for this grown man to be communicating this much with a teenager on her cell phone. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like the police ever got a hold of the actual messages between the two, but it was enough just seeing the amount of phone calls and messages. So they looked Why the- not? I feel like it'd be very easy to... I think just because of like the timing, like all of this mm. happened really fast. I just don't think they ever like were able to get that stuff back before it kind of was all over. But it was enough just like seeing the amount of phone calls and messages. So they looked into Sam. They saw that he didn't have any felony convictions. But in 2001, he had pled guilty to a misdemeanor retail theft charge for trying to steal a 20-pack of Budweiser and a bottle of vodka on New Year's (laughs) Eve in 2001. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So knowing all of this stuff, they go and they talk to Sam. And he was just about to start baseball practice when they picked him up at the school for an interview at the police station. And right from the start, detectives were very suspicious of Sam. They didn't like the answers he was giving to their questions. They didn't like his body language. They did not like him. He had a very cool and calm attitude at first. He was acting very cooperative, very friendly and polite. But he just kept telling them that he had no idea where Ashley was. It was clear to detectives that he felt very confident in himself, but it was also clear to them that he knew way more than he was telling them. Uh Sergeant Daniel Stockett said that he thinks Sam was going to try and manipulate them, like be cooperative and play along and just hope this all went away. So detectives brought up Ashley's cell phone records that showed that for the past two months, they were in constant contact. Sam tried to insist that there wasn't anything more than a couple of friends who met up on a rare occasion to play basketball. Uh, Y'all aren't the same age. Like, that's what I would say about you and I. A couple of friends that meet up to have sangria every Thursday. Mm -hmm. Like, is this a 17-year-old? Yeah. Hello, men out there. If you think you're friends with an underage girl, stop it. (laughs) Yeah. You are not friends. Detectives said, okay, so there was no hugging, no kissing, nothing like that. And he was like, well, I'd give her like a hug goodbye, but that's not like sexual, is it? 
Oh, no. And then his story kept changing. After interviewing him for hours and hours, he'd add details to his story that weren't there before, or else he'd change his story altogether. When detectives confronted him with the statements that Ashley's friends had made about their relationship being romantic and sexual, he started blaming Ashley. He said that she had become obsessed with him. She'd call him all the time, and he'd been avoiding her for days, hoping that she would just leave him alone. And Side note, Ashley's best friend, Christy Baumgartner, said that she thinks it was the other way around, that he might have become too obsessed with Ashley, and she thinks it was Ashley trying to call things off. And then Sam takes a bathroom break, and, and during this bathroom break, he runs into the department's lead detective, Captain Stephen Johnson. Sam knew Captain Johnson. He'd been in this explorer program when he was younger, kind of like the Boy Scouts, but they like learn about law enforcement. And Captain Johnson had been an advisor in this program. And so Captain Johnson decided to take over this interview, hoping that he could get past Sam's barriers. And Captain Johnson really plays things perfectly here. Like there's not really a bad cop thing happening. He's acting like a concerned best friend. And he just gets more and more out of him because Sam just keeps getting caught in all of these lies, lies after lies. And Captain Johnson just says, tell us about the mistakes that were made, Sam. Just like real calm. Tell me about the mistakes that were made. And he does. So Sam first. When you know, like, ooh, this is a tactic. (laughs) So first, Sam admitted that they'd started touching each other. And then finally, he said, quote, I will say this. We never kissed. We never kissed. But yes, okay. we did have sex in the back of the vehicle there. <gasps> oh, my God. And he said he felt terrible. And then he said, oh. direct quote, I feel almost like I took advantage of a 17-year-old girl. Uh, <laughs> Sam, <laughs> my buddy, mouth is on the floor. Hate to break it to you, bud. But, and also, we never kissed. Like, to me, that makes it even worse. (laughs) Like, you never even kissed her. Well, that makes me so sad. Yeah, he told the detectives that he was really concerned about becoming a sex offender. And so he kept telling Ashley that if anyone asked not to say anything. And he said it had only happened the one time. And he still insisted that he hadn't seen her the day that she disappeared. And Captain Johnson basically told him, that's obviously not true. Like, clearly, you know what happened. All the evidence says that you know what happened. And so again, Sam's story changes to actually he did see her that day. And Mm. he told detectives that Ashley wanted a more serious relationship with him. And so he decided he needed to break things off. So he said that he'd gone to meet up with her at Latterman Park around 345 or 4 o'clock. And immediately detectives are like, okay, this is it. We've got him. We've got him there at the park with her the day she went missing by his own confession. But Sam says that she was alive when he last saw her. He tells them that he and Ashley were just driving down the road back and forth while he explained that he didn't want to do this anymore, how wrong it was. And he said she was just screaming and yelling and he didn't want to listen to it anymore. So he pulled over on the side of the road and he told her to get out of the car, but she wouldn't. So he puts the car in park, walked around to her side of the car, opened the door, pulled her out of the car, and then just left her there. Oh, good. Yeah, he said she was still alive and no way could he have hurt her because he has a very weak stomach. So 
Couldn't have been him. Could not have been him. How do you test that, you know? <laughs> oh, you got a weak stomach. Right. Okay. He said he really cared about her, and he was just as concerned about her as her family was. So concerned that he'd left her stranded on the side of the road in the dark. Yeah. So after he'd supposedly left her on the side of the road, had he tried to call her to make sure she was okay? No. Actually, he'd driven straight to a country western bar called Wild Country, which was in Collinsville and about a 30-minute drive from where he'd left Ashley in Belleville. And they know for sure he went to Wild Country because Thursdays is when the television show St. Louis Country is taped there. And so he's on tape line dancing his little heart out at this country bar. Oh, gross. The owner of Wild Country said that Sam was a regular there. He came there most Thursday nights during the taping of this show, which would air on Saturday nights. So clearly, you know, he is very concerned. Not only that. But that night, he was also texting another girl from Ashley's high school. (gasps) Yeah. Ew. At 11.26 p.m., the night that she went missing, he sent another teenager a text that said, For real, I really like you. You are a sweet girl. Oh, my God. I'm so cringed out. I know. So Captain Johnson decided it was time to play dirty. And so... He brought up Sam's grandma, who Sam <gasps> lived with. Oh, uh, no, he didn't. Oh, uh, yes. He asked Sam what his grandma would say about all of this. And Sam told him that he just wanted to go home and explain it all to his mom and grandma. And Captain Johnson said, well, they're not here. But in a way. Well, explain it to me. In a way, they are here because everything they've taught you is within you. And you're <sighs> not telling us the truth. And you have to. For them. Sam, for them. And Sam just starts crying. And so Captain Johnson, like, leaves him alone. And finally, after 12 hours of interrogation, Sam tells the truth. He said that when he and Ashley were driving around, she was screaming at him. He had pulled over to get her out of the car. He'd had to reach over to unlock her seatbelt. And she'd, like, tried holding on to the center console as he dragged her out of the car. He said Mm -hmm. he'd used all of his force to drag her out. And he said he got her in a little reverse, like, belly-to-back bear hug position and squeezed her. <sighs> and Captain Johnson asked what happened next. He's, he asked if she'd hit her head. And Sam responded, no, her neck. I pulled too hard. He said he heard on a pop what? on her neck. He said he heard a pop and then she oh. just felt limp, like she wasn't moving. And so he said he set her back in the car and he noticed that she was still breathing. And then he said he did the stupidest thing. He's like, I just I did the stupidest thing. He said he knows he should have taken her to a hospital, but he wasn't in save Ashley mode. He was in save himself mode. So he took a belt and he pulled it on her neck and he said he didn't know how long he held on. And he said he had to turn his head because he didn't want to watch. And he heard a gurgle, and when he heard that, he stopped pulling. But then he used his foot as leverage to choke her as hard as he could, so hard that the belt broke. (gasps) And he did that until she wasn't breathing anymore. Oh, my gosh. And he then dragged her into a wooded area, a dense area that would make it almost impossible for anyone to find her. 
and he tied something around her neck to make it look like someone had choked her out there. And there it was. Sam had just confessed to Ashley's murder. But he wouldn't tell them where he'd left her. Investigators needed Sam to tell them, but it seemed so unlikely. Throughout this whole interview, you know, Captain Johnson had played things so perfectly. He'd been talking to Sam like a friend. He'd shown him compassion and understanding. His voice had been gentle and calm and low. And now he needed more information from him. So he turned it up a notch further and he went back to Sam for their only shot at retrieving Ashley's body. And finally, he agreed to show them where it was. The sun had set twice since Ashley had been dumped in those woods. Temperatures had gotten as low as the 40s, and it had rained. Detectives videotaped taking Sam back to the woods so he could show them where he'd left Ashley. And finally, around 2 a.m., detectives saw Ashley's body lying on the ground. And she was on her back, and her body looked very limp. Her arms were laying awkwardly by her side. There were thousands of insect bites all over (gasps) her. It had been 30 hours, over 30 hours since she'd gone missing. 30 hours since she'd been reported missing, which wasn't until, you know, 1030. Detectives had been working for more than 24 hours nonstop to find her. They were exhausted and they thought maybe their minds weren't really thinking quite straight. Or maybe it was a trick of the light when they saw something, her chest rising. (gasps) But then they looked closer and they realized she was breathing. (gasps) Oh! She was still alive. What? Yes. Two days later? Like 36 hours later. Yeah. The detective rushed to her. One grabbed her hand and started telling her like help was coming for her. This is all on videotape. And the the detectives say that this moment. Did you watch this? Did you watch Mm -hmm. this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (gasps) Yes. Oh, my God. And the detectives say that this moment changed the way they look at every case they've ever worked since. Because this was no longer a recovery. This was a rescue. And no one could believe it. She had been lying there for 30 hours. She'd been left for dead. Through rain, through cold temperatures, thousands of bugs, strangled. But she was alive. Emergency personnel rushed to save her, but when they got there, the paramedics told Captain Johnson they didn't think she was going to make it out of the woods, but they were going to do everything they could for her. Paramedics had to take chainsaws to clear a path through the woods to Ashley so they could get the ambulance to her, which took another hour. And they didn't know how many more hours Ashley could hold on for. An ER doctor said that as soon as a trauma happens, the clock starts ticking. If you get to a hospital within an hour, your survival is much more likely. They call it the golden hour. Ashley had been unconscious for almost 36 hours at this point, and it was very unlikely that she would make it through the night. So she's not, like, responding. She's not responsive at all. She's just breathing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Her condition was considered critical. The doctors were first concerned with any life-threatening injuries, but they also had to deal with the fact that she was very cold. And she was not responding neurologically at all. Uh So they first needed to get oxygen flowing back to her brain. And they started warming her very slowly and preventing any further injuries. And her condition began to improve from critical 
to serious. <gasps> and people of the internet were speculating that she would probably be a paraplegic or a quadriplegic or she'd remain in a vegetative state. It just wasn't looking good. So while they're off trying to save Ashley, Sam Shelton is at the police uh-huh. station being the absolute worst. Oh, <gasps> what a... <laughs> he's arrested Ugh. and charged with now attempted murder. And he's like, am I going to be able to like get my contact solution and take my contacts out and a toothbrush? How do they shrivel up and dry up in your little <laughs> eye and scratch your cornea, you piece of doo-doo? And detectives tell him, like, I don't think so. I don't think so, man. And he's appalled. He's like, I can't take my contacts out. And then he asks them, quote, quote, am I going to get like a little private toilet? Because I can't pee when there's people around because of my urinary stress disorder. Uh, You (laughs) probably have a lot other things to worry about. I just realized my window is open and I'm like yelling. (laughs) And then you're going to be like, "Uh, something's going on in that house. I'm like, you piece of dude. You piece of doo-doo. Domestic disturbance. I don't know. She just called him a piece of doo-doo. It might get violent. (laughs) She said something about hoping his contact shrivel up in his eye. (laughs) It's very serious. And the detective said, I don't know, Sam. I'll tell them that's what you want, but I don't know if they'll be able to do that. And Sam says, well, I'll be miserable if I can't pee. (laughs) Oh, good. Right. While poor Sam is pondering life in prison with a urinary stress disorder, detectives detectives are making their way to Michelle Reeves to tell her what had happened to Ashley. And Michelle is married. Like, Ashley does have a dad. They I think they they do live together. But he like wasn't ever mentioned and he wasn't ever interviewed. So he never comes up. But he's there. Just know he's there too. Lurking. Right. So they're making their way to Michelle Reeves to tell her what had happened to Ashley. And they tell her that Ashley had been strangled three times. And now she had no blink response, no pain response or anything. She'd had a severe brain injury and her chances of survival were very low. But Ashley made it through that first night. It took her a while to come out of the coma for her brain to wake up. And then she started moving. And then her mom said she just started screaming. Michelle said Ashley spent like a week in the hospital bed just screaming. And it was the most horrific thing she'd ever seen in her life. She had a lack of oxygen to her brain that had affected her ability to think, to speak, to move. And for several weeks, Ashley was like a prisoner in her own body. She couldn't move. She couldn't speak. People had to do everything for her. And she just laid there and cried. But she says one of the first things she really remembers besides the crying was her aunt saying to her, I know you're in there and I know you can hear me and I'm tired of you acting like this. So if you can hear me, bite my finger. And she like put her finger in Ashley's mouth and Ashley bit down as hard as she could on her finger. Uh And her aunt was like, I knew you were in there. I just (laughs) knew it. (laughs) Yes. Every single day for her was a struggle. Ashley had to relearn how to eat, how to drink, how to Mm. swallow. But the worst thing was confronting the reality of what she had gone through. Because for the longest time, she refused to believe that Sam had tried to kill her. Like, they told her what had happened, and she just couldn't believe it. 
So she asked detectives to show her pictures taken of her after the attack. She felt like she just needed to see for herself. And she said, it was very hurtful. I thought he was one of my good friends, but he dumped me in the woods and went dancing. Yeah. Ashley had a pretty different version of events than Sam. She said that there was never anything physical between them, that they were just friends at this point. And as far as she can remember, they never even argued. So she said she just doesn't understand why he would have done this. She can't imagine what she could have done to set him off like this. So she's saying they never had any relationship. Yeah, that's what she says. And she said they had grown closer just because they were meeting up to play basketball so much, but that she was in a serious relationship at the time. But what are all the texts? Yeah, yeah. She said that he had wanted to keep it very secret that they were playing basketball together because if the principal found out, he would lose his job. I have some theories about that that we'll talk about in a little bit. Meanwhile, even though Sam had given this full confession and led police to a body that he put in the woods, he was still able to get bail. I think he was still held on like it was either 800000 or a million dollar bail, but he did make his bail. And so he was released while he waited for his trial to begin. You think he's just back there teaching teaching class? No, he he did put I didn't put this in the script, but he had put in his resignation like really soon after this. He had submitted his resignation, which was going to be like effective at the end of the school year, but like the district was not allowing him back. Yeah. We'll kind of talk a little bit about that. But while he was out on bail, at one point he attempted suicide by taking a potentially fatal cocktail of prescription pills with alcohol. And when EMTs tried to save him, he punched them and spit at them. And when he was finally taken to the ER, the staff there said he had words written on his chest in marker that had some sort of like DNR message on it, like do not resuscitate written across his chest. Huh. The community couldn't believe that this happened. They thought Sam was the all-American boy. His mother, Sue Shelton, which is literally my grandma's maiden name, Sue Shelton. Oh, really? Yeah. She was having a really hard time wrapping her head around her son doing something like this. Sam's best friend said it's weird how this affects more than just the two people involved, but all of the family and friends on on both sides. And I could not imagine someone who had been my best friend confessing to doing this to someone else. Like, yeah. it would definitely tear me apart. But then again, I would probably not have a best friend with a MySpace page that lists their hobbies as pornography and touching prostitutes. What? Yeah. This man is a teacher. How How did he... I know. I found the link to his MySpace, but unfortunately the page was taken down. Well, I think all of MySpace pages are like... No, I found some other Sam Shelton's MySpace page, but I found the actual link to him. Someone had linked it in this like forum. And, but when I clicked on the link, it was gone. But Mm. apparently there was some other stuff on there. Like he kept a blog and he followed other students and he would comment on their page and stuff. But like the closest I could get to his MySpace now is an internet forum from back then when where people are like talking about what's on his MySpace page. Yeah. And that's about it. At Ashley's high school, Columbia, during first period on Monday after the attack, teachers gave students an update on Ashley's condition. Students and faculty at Columbia were in total shock that this had happened to their fellow student. And a lot of them took advantage of the counseling services provided by the school after this. 
Over at Freeburg, the high school that Sam taught at, the faculty had a meeting first thing Monday morning to be notified of this. I literally could not imagine. Yeah, God, that's, I mean, wait, I thought they were at the same school. No, No, he taught at a rival high school. He had taught her in middle school. Right, I knew that, but I guess. But he did not, he was not at her high school. A note was sent home that night, like, to parents to notify them. Those notes. Yeah, but it didn't really seem to affect the student body as much. No one really used the counseling services. And that seems like wild to me because like a teacher so beloved by the students tries to kill a teenage girl and no one that like knew Mr. Shelton is or Coach Shelton is like freaked out by that. You know what I mean? Like could have been me if I was a teenage girl and I'd been like flirty with Sam and he'd been flirty back. I'd been like, it could have been me, you know? Yeah. As this case hit the media, Ashley got overwhelming support online and in her community, but it only takes a few to make you feel like complete crap. And some people in the community were ready to just tear Ashley apart instead. Oh, I'm sure because they're like, why would you? Mm -hmm. And I think this is why Ashley really denies any physical relationship with Sam. I mean, it's possible that she doesn't remember her memory. She even says is like very hazy around that time. But... If it's not that, I think this is why she denies any physical relationship with Sam, because even though he basically started grooming her in the seventh grade, uh, even her best friend doesn't believe that there was nothing physical between them. But Ashley was vilified by people. A lot of victim blaming was happening. Mm -hmm. So I would lie, too, if I were her. You know, I would be like, nope, I I don't know why he did this. I have no idea. Like, nothing physical ever happened. Especially if your memory is shoddy, you know. Yeah. Some people even made frightening prank calls to her house. Like they'd call her house God, and Michelle what are would answer. Doing? I don't know. Why Leave are you so bored? <laughs> and they would uh, call Michelle and she'd answer the phone and they'd say, Do you know where your daughters are now? And then just hang oh up. God. I know. Ashley said she had to deal with a piece of doo doo. A piece of doo doo. She said she had to deal with a lot of people saying, Poor Sam. Poor Sam. Are you kidding? I know. Good night. It just seems like Sam absolutely had two different sides to himself. I mean, anyone that can think they murdered a 17-year-old girl and then go out line dancing as if nothing happens, text other teenage girls. And then he also went to work the next day to teach at a high school. Like, he showed up at work at 8 a.m. Must have, like, a just a, a deep way of compartmentalizing stuff. Right. Ashley spent months in a St. Louis hospital relearning how to speak, how to walk, how to eat, how to swallow. Her mom said it was like doing a new baby book where you're keeping track of the first smile, the first giggle, the first step. That's so sad. I know. And Ashley, like at a certain point, she just wanted to go home. She was tired of the physical therapy. It was painful. She just wanted to go home. But her dad said, you know, this is the best place for you and they're going to help you to get better. And then you can come home. And after months and months of hard work, Ashley regained full use of her body. Though she'll never be exactly the same as she once was, she can't really run. She lost a lot of her coordination and she had trouble speaking. But like, you know, you can learn how to do it all again, but you're never really the same. Yeah. But I mean, she's walking, she's talking, you know, she's like made a full recovery as full as possible. Oh. 
Meanwhile, Sam Shelton's lawyers are trying to get his confession thrown out because he hadn't been read his rights when he gave it. But the judge ruled (sighs) against him. And I really tried to find like why he made that ruling, because I could understand if he hadn't if his rights hadn't been given to him. Right. He was clearly being treated as a suspect at this time. So I don't really know how the judge got that. But anyways, the judge ruled against him and allowed the and said that the confession was going to be allowed in. So once that was the case, Sam and his lawyers are like, all right, we're just taking a plea deal and seeing what we can get. And so he pled guilty to attempted first degree murder and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And for some reason, I did not write this down, but I'm like surprised by that. His release date is he'll he'll be eligible for parole in the spring of 2024. But his actual release date, his anticipated release date is April 22nd, 2027. So he could get out as early as two years, but he should definitely be out by 2027. So. Lock your cars, lock your windows, hide your daughters. (laughs) My God. Yeah. On the case with Paula Zahn episode, they asked Ashley if she could ask Sam anything, what would it be? And she said, I'd just ask him why. Like, why did you do this? And today, Ashley is 32, I think. Like, again, timeline is a little rocky and she has two kids, but mostly she keeps her private life private. So I couldn't really find out much about her. but. She was interviewed and, you know, she seems to be like doing very well. So good for you, Ashley. That's why Ashley is a Gryffindor. What happens when Sam Shelton gets out? And like, do you think he's like calling Ashley up? I hope not. I hope he leaves her the hell alone. (sighs) Like that creeps me out. Yeah, I think he probably has zero interest in her. She's 32 now and has two kids. Wow, that's so sad. So sad. I'm glad she's alive. God, I, I know. bet her mom like was not expecting <gasps> that call at all. I know. Can you imagine? I could not believe it. No. So amazing. Shout out time. Shout out time. Oh, I think we're shouting out the person today that said, I just want to read it. <laughs> yes, we are. That said, Moga may not know a single thing, but she has the best investigative instincts. She would be an <laughs> excellent detective, for real. Oh my gosh. And then I, I said, if only so she cool. wasn't scared of the dark. And she said, too pretty to go inside the evidence locker. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, know thyself, you know? Know thyself. That was Elise, and we are shouting Elise out today. Elise Goyette. Elise, same as you would say it in English. Think Elise Keaton of Glorious Family Ties. Go yet, as in, did you go yet? Elise, did you go yet? Elise, go yet. Thank you Elise. so much for being a patron. And thank you for that very hilarious message that I had sent to Mogab earlier because I thought it was so funny. <laughs> yeah, Elise, thank you for adding to the list of things I'm just much too pretty for. I appreciate that. And it is a, becoming an extensive list and I don't hate it. Well, major shouts to you. Is it an extensive list? I mean, too pretty to take out the trash. Too pretty to go to the Evans locker. Did we have something mm-hmm. else? <laughs> yeah, too pretty to put my own air in my tires. Oh, oh okay. And too pretty That's to make to call point. for the pizza. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Never calling for the pizza. Sorry. Never calling for the pizza. 
All right. Yeah, and you and of course the one that I can't even say. We just need to. I'll say it, and then we just need to move on. Is anything dealing with like the hairbrush or oh, the drain? Right, right, like, right. Too yeah, pretty but, to deal with the <laughs> with my own hair. Yeah, it's, it's hard right. being me. Well, I'm too pretty pretty to be sweating in here like this. You like, are. So totally. let's get you out of this room. You're the next shout out. Major shouts, Denise. Thank you so much for being a patron, Denise. We love you, Denise. Love you, and. Major shouts to Kelly, who said, thanks for always making me laugh and wishing there was a damn Waffle House in Canada so I can see what all the hype is about. Heart, 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 Oh, Kelly, we can't put put Waffle House in Canada, okay? You're going to have to come down here. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw a map. Somebody posted, I think they posted an article with a map of how many Waffle Houses are in each state. Yes, I did see that. Georgia over there with... um, that's where it was founded. I, I figured based on that map. Yeah, there's literally one on every corner, and a lot of them are attached to liquor stores, <laughs> which make me laugh. It's like a strip, and there's like a Waffle House on one end, and then like something else. Like a liquor store. Uh, right, right, okay, right. That tracks, yeah. It's good. Okay, well, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for... Unless you're like a high school teacher and you enjoyed it too much, please seek counseling because it is not okay. Correct, yeah. Yeah, uh, if you related to anything there, you know, uh, I don't know what to do for you, but don't be around. And to all the friends, to the high school friends, and your friend is pulling in Ariana Ezra or Sam Shelton and Ashley, see something, say something. Tell your parents, tell a friend. Yes. Absolutely. Tell a counselor, tell a, tell a different teacher. Absolutely. So thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Podcast, you can support us by following us on social media, Instagram at Creepers Pod, and our Facebook discussion group is really fun. Uh, the True Friend Creepers discussion group. And if you really, really want to support us, you can join the Patreon. There's three levels there for you to choose from. Bonus content that's over there at Patreon.com/slash True Crime Creepers. And that is all. So thank you so much. Be sure to tune in next time when it'll be our 100th. That's so fun. That is, that's, that's too much. That's amazing. Okay. Bye, peeps and creeps. Ghost Rose!